It's time for episode 158 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 12, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's always around, or around, if you prefer. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined across the internet by my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It's, it's going all right. You're not in your usual your usual domain this week. I don't know what you're, you're talking you're, about. You're in an und, undisclosed location. I'm a disembodied voice on a podcast. That's all you need to know. Yeah, it's, there are those who say you're not even a, a real person. But um, <laughs> Who are those you know, people? We can't, we can't comment on that. Uh, this is the show where we talk about four technology topics with two fantastic guests. To my left, the editor-in-chief of The Wirecutter and The Sweet Home, our good friend Jackie Chang is here. Hi, Jackie. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Uh, we're a pleasure to have you back. And to my left, you may know him from Relay FM and from Mobile Nations. It's Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. Welcome back. Hello, Jason. I am so excited to be here. All right, let's kick off our discussion today. My topic is Amazon this morning announced that it was launching yet another music streaming service. Um, even though I guess it already sort of had one, but not really. Um, one of the interesting features of this program is they're offering a $4 per month plan that's just for those who have Amazon Echoes. It only works on the Amazon Echo. Um, and so you get you pay a little less, you get a little less. Uh, my question is, is, is there a future for this sort of device-specific type of service or plan? Um, does it? Does this particular Amazon offering help compensate for the fact that there are so many music services now? Are you a music service user? You know, does this appeal to you at all? I'm just kind of curious on your general thoughts on this matter, Jackie. What do you think? You know, so here's here's the thing. I normally hate on you know new subscription music services. I just you know, as you just pointed out, there's so many, and I just tend to think that new ones are don't offer a lot. But I think that this one is a little bit different, just because of how I have seen and heard people talking about the Echo and how much they love it. And, you know, this is something that, like, you know, at the Wirecutter, we obviously pay a lot of attention to how w- what we see as, like, quote-unquote regular people and, you know, their behaviors and how they buy things and use things. And this is something that I think regular people are using a lot more than I would expect right now, the Echo. And therefore, I think um, the $4 music service probably will actually go over pretty well. I think a lot of people, um, you know, are realizing that it's cool to have a speaker like that in the middle of your house. You can just yell at it, uh, you know, with commands, but then also just have it play music. And um, I I think people are going to latch onto it. I think it's going to, you know, it may not be the dominant one, but it's going to be one of the top ones, um, I suspect. Yeah, it feels almost like a, I mean, it's like an appliance plan. I mean, if you think of the Echo as an appliance, this is like the super simple, I I think there are use cases where people are not going to want to subscribe to an entire music service on all of the devices that they own, but they really want to be able to have their Echo play some music, and now they'll be able to do that for for cheap. What I don't want to see is a world where we are paying per device for music, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really bad, but if this is not uh, you know, the only way to to stream music on the Echo, which it's not, and it's just another option. I think it's really good. More flexibility for consumers, you know, is always a good thing. I, I pretty much agree with what everyone else is saying. I think the one difference for me is that I do get a little uh, weirded out by the kind of device specific plan. Um, I, I I don't like the idea of having to go on every service and pay to be able to listen to to music there to have uh, the opportunity to 
you know, enjoy the music that I, I like on other platforms. And yes, I can, you know, Bluetooth connect to the Amazon Echo and listen to music from my phone. And I, that's awesome, especially because I can be like, hey, friend, I won't say that the word. <laughs> hey, friend. Hello, friend. Connect to, hello, friend. Connect to my phone. And then it does that. So, I guess there's no real reason to complain, but um, I, I just I don't want every single service to have to require me uh, to pay, you know, blah 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 per month mm-hmm. to be able to listen to music on it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with most of you on this. So I, I, this morning I, I I started you know the free trial for the full eight dollar a month plan, which you get if you are already a Prime subscriber, because I thought to myself, well, I do have you know a couple Echoes in the house, but. Um, if I pay another four dollars per month, I can try it out on my phone and my desktop too. And I think that's part of my concern. You know, you know, Mike is talking about different paying for different devices, and I think to myself, well, I've got two Echoes, I've got some Macs, I've got iOS devices, I've got a Sonos. Like, am I only? Am I going to have this weird fragmented fragmented situation where like some services work on like seventy five percent of the devices, but I need to go somewhere else to get something for that last device? I, I think this is probably a winner for Amazon. I don't think it may will necessarily as Jackie said, be the dominant music player by any means, but I think it's going to make them some some money, and I think it will make Echo users in particular very happy. So thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to uh, our second topic, which comes from Jackie. Yay. Uh, so my topic is, it's kind of one that I would say has been building over the last handful of months, and especially in the last few weeks. Um, so malware it, to control basically the Internet of Things, you know, all of our little gadgets that are getting online um, is becoming more common. Uh, earlier this month, just like I think even like a week and a half ago, um, the source code was released for one of the biggest, uh, you know, denial of service attacks ever executed. And it was executed through, uh, you know, infecting things like Internet security cameras and DVRs and things like that. Um, and so, you know, this is becoming... A big thing. And I guess I, you know, as, as person, as a person who loves smart technology myself, um, and, you know, at, at all of our sites and where we, you know, interact with people, I think that we're used to all of us, you know, getting, getting on board with Nest, getting on board with like, you know, the Echo that we were just talking about. So I guess I was just thinking, you know, what do you guys think about this kind of thing? Uh, do you like take it into consideration at all? Does it bother you? Or is this, um, you know, something that you just think of as, uh, you know, you'll deal with it when it comes up, like almost like a tech janitor issue that we, you know, we all have to deal with. Um, I, you know, admittedly, I'm a little bit of the latter. I'm kind of like, well, when it comes up, I'll deal with it. But um, it's kind of creeping me out. I don't know. Just kind of wondering what you think. I saw a piece by a prominent security researcher the other week that basically said, this is a situation where the manufacturers don't care because they're selling these cheap objects and then they're moving on to the next thing. And the consumers don't care because they don't notice anything's wrong and the, the, the smart objects that they buy do their job and so what what he said was basically the only way this is going to change is if governments start mandating that certain things happen in terms of security of devices and i'm skeptical of how technically savvy any government can be but uh it's scary to think that that we're in a situation where this sort of thing is happening and will continue to happen i feel like maybe there's going to be a new line of products that like literally you put them in your house and they're like antivirus for objects in your house to scan them and see if their traffic is suspicious and that's a very william gibson novel kind of world but i think we're living in it when we've got cameras as botnets crashing security researchers websites that we're already in a sci-fi novel here 
bad world. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little bit worried about this. I try to keep complex passwords on things because I know that a lot of times the problem can be that people, they put these IP cameras in their homes and they don't ever set any passcodes for them or they keep it as the standard 0000 or what have you. So I try to make sure that that's not the case. And I mean, I, I do the basic stuff, but uh, if there's a future where those, uh, those scanning of the network devices are actually real and not vapor hardware and <laughs> and they work i will uh, totally be down to to buy those things yeah i think i mean so there there are two separate issues here in some ways that are interlinked one is as mike is alluding to this idea that you know people can hack into these devices that are in our homes and obviously have a lot of access within our homes um, and, and therefore, you know, we're concerned about protecting our own privacy and security. The other one, which is also sort of interlinked, which we, I think Jason was alluding to, was the idea that these devices can then be co-op to attack other people. Um, and that, I think you were sort of referencing uh, Brian Krebs, the security researcher whose site got taken offline yeah. in a, with a giant botnet composed of uh, many of these types of devices. Um, and, and that's a risk too, right? Because at that point, it's not necessarily just about your privacy. It's about the fact that you're being leveraged to, to atten- essentially attack someone else. Um, and with all of these devices, and there are so many devices, I look sometimes at my router just to see like all the devices on my network. You know, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I don't recognize that. And I have to like track down what device that is. Like, oh, yeah, that's that like smart <laughs> light bulb or whatever. It's like there are so many things on your network these days. It's hard to keep track of them. So, you know, it, it can be a, a concern. There isn't a lot of incentive until something major happens, right? And at that point, it's all sort of retroactive cleaning up where, uh, you know, after an attack is made, um, that probably will have to affect say, the government in some ways, or a large corporation, um, you know, that's the point at which the uh, the government gets involved in, and starts to try to mandate things. But until then, it's going to be kind of wild west. It's probably going to take something unfortunate and highly visible for changes to be made in that area. Two great topics. We've got two more topics to go. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Linode, combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers. They've got eight data centers all around the world. They're a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. Linode is my server infrastructure. Uh, you can get a server up and running in under a minute. Plans start at just $10 a month. They have those servers with $10 a month. You've got two gigabytes of RAM on your server for that. You can choose your resources, choose the Linux distro you want, and choose your node location from those eight data centers, all from there easy to use manager tool you can deploy boot and resize with uh, just a few clicks using their virtual server tool it's incredibly easy linode has over 400,000 customers and they're all taken care of by a friendly 24 7 support team they're even open over the holidays so if there's anything you need help with they are going to be there for you and they're really committed to improving their infrastructure they recently made a switch from zen to kvm and their latest unix benchmark showed a 300 percent performance increase basically all i had to do was reboot my server and boom it was a super fast server faster than it was before. It's the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They've got the power you need, the infrastructure and assistance you want, and as a listener to Clockwise, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, that's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise, you will not only be supporting us, you'll also get $20 toward any Linode plan, and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so why not give it a try? Linode.com slash clockwise, or use the promo code clockwise20 at checkout to take advantage of the $20 credit. Thank you so much to Linode for sponsoring Clockwise. All right, topic number three is mine. Here it is. It used to be back in in the old days, you (laughs) bought software and then you owned it. 
And that has changed over the last few years now. There's some apps, the Omni Group uh, released uh, some of their apps with uh, as free with in-app purchase to, uh, to make the full version available. Others are now available via an annual subscription like Office 365. I'm curious, what is your preferred way of paying for software these days? What would you prefer to do in terms of buying software? And are there ways that you will try to avoid at all costs? Micah? I, I don't try to avoid anything uh, at all costs to the death. Um, I, you know, ultimately, I want to support the people who make the software that I enjoy. And if they feel that there is a different method that is better for them to to make money, then that's the method that I want to, uh, you know, <laughs> help them make, I guess. Uh, I, I will say that if, the, if there's an ad-supported service and I can pay to not have ads, you bet your boots I'm going to pay because I can't stand those little ads popping up in my way. And sometimes it'll even be an app I only use once, but I just see those ads and I'm like, no, go away. And so then I'll pay to, uh, to make them go, you know, to disappear. But look, I, I have this thing where I talk about how uh, a developer is trying to support a, a chicken coop. Like they have, they have pet chickens and those chickens deserve to live and they deserve to have food. And so I think that we should support the developers and their chickens and everybody should get the money that they need to, to survive. So if you've got a subscription service, then doggone it, I'm going to pay for that subscription service. And if you've got a one-time thing, I prefer a one-time thing, but, uh, look, sometimes it ends up costing less, less, or, or it's, seems like it costs less, at least if we can do a subscription service. So $120 up front or, you know, $10 over the course of the year. A lot of times people can uh, make that happen a little bit easier. So I guess ultimately what I'm saying is I prefer to not uh, use ad supported if I can help it. But other than that, hey, charge me how you need to. I think for me, it depends very much on the software in question. Um, there's stuff that uh, I'm perfectly happy to pay up front for and pay whatever price, you know, it seems reasonable because I feel like this is a good app. I'm going to get my use out of it. Um, there's some stuff, less stuff for me um, that is like subscription based. Um, it's got to be something I use really a lot in order for me to feel like it's worth sort of that recurring subscription. Um, and, and there are definitely stuff, there are definitely programs I own that I get so much value out of that I would happily pay, um, you know, year over year, or month over month or what have you, um, to get the privilege of using that. But there's a lot of stuff that I feel like, you know, I, I don't use this enough or I don't need the, uh, constant updates or what have you. I'm glad that, you know, overall that there are all these different options and that it is, uh, not just sort of a one model plan fit all thing that we used to sort of have. Um, and so I, I like the idea of owning software, but you know, I, I guess I guess you never really own software, right? It's it's bits, that's a license to use it in the same way that I guess you never really own your music either. So there's, there's I suppose, a lot of philosophical questions about that. But in, in the end, I'm happy to find a way to compensate the developers for their time. Uh, and uh, hopefully it meshes with the, the way that I use those apps. I'm, I'm going to go against the grain a little and just straight up declare that I like if if possible I will avoid subscriptions like the plague um that's not to say that I won't you know I to back up a little I of course you know I love developers I support developers I'm happy to pay for whatever I use in whatever method they force me to pay pay for it in but if I can choose I'm totally gonna avoid subscriptions um I'm just uh I'm kind of a penny pincher type person and just the idea of 
subscriptions and just being on the hook uh, and then, you know, eventually not having access to your stuff when you decide to stop paying, that just really bothers me. So, you know, I definitely prefer to be able to just buy something and then have it, you know, maybe we don't technically own it. That's true. But, um, you know, generally speaking, you can use it even though you're not paying for it every month. Um, I will say, you know, if there are apps that are ad supported that, I do find myself using more. Um, I'm totally happy to pay for, you know, the non-ad version. There have been a couple, um, like, translation apps and stuff that I've used where they've definitely upsold me because the ads were just so obnoxious. Um, and that's okay for me, I guess. Uh, but like I said, subscriptions just, like, I don't know, something about it. I, I can barely commit to subscriptions for, you know, newspapers and stuff and magazines. So, um I don't know, one off for me, if if at all possible. But I do think that our world is sort of moving away from that. Um, you know, at this point, we're we're practically doomed for <laughs> a subscription filled future, in my opinion. So it'll be fine. I'll I'll pay for it if I have to, but uh, I won't like it. I don't mind subscriptions if it's for something that uh, first off that I feel like it's a really good value and that it's something that uh, I think is substantial. So like I'm paying a hundred dollars a year for uh, the Photoshop Lightroom bundle for Adobe, and uh, I remember what Photoshop used to cost when you bought one <laughs> in a box. And I think a hundred dollars a year for how much I use Photoshop, I'm fine with that. Like I feel like that is a good trade. It's a good value because I get Photoshop and Lightroom when I pay for it. For other stuff, it, it it's tough because there are some apps that you might think, well, I, I, I this matters to me, but I'm not going to pay more than five or ten dollars a year to to use it. And if they want sixty dollars a year, then you just have to make that calculation and say, I can't, you know, I, I this it doesn't mean that much to me. I'm going to find an alternative. All right, great, great topic. Thanks everybody. One more topic to go, Micah. What do you have for us? Yeah, so uh, Google recently had its Made by Google event, and uh, Oculus had the Oculus Connect event. And uh, there were some VR announcements, as you might expect. Um, you know, th there's the VR headset that's that's coming from Made by from uh, Google, rather, that looks like a carpeting, like, uh, it, it looks like a business carpeting uh, service made this headset. Uh, but Facebook is also announcing a standalone headset to be coming around the corner. So all that's to say VR is really locking in and uh, there are a lot of companies that are very bullish about VR. So I'm curious if used if you have used any VR or AR systems, what did you think of it? And uh, does our definitely inevitable VR AR future excite you? Or is this something that uh, you could either, you know, kick away or you're actually kind of worried about it? Uh, I have used uh, a couple of VR things. Um, most prominently, uh, a friend of mine actually works at a company that builds sort of VR games that work with an exercise bike. Um, and so I, I got to test that out. And I think that you were using an, I want to say it was an HTC Vive for that. Um, and you know what? I was a little skeptical, but going in, uh, I actually found that it was pretty cool. Uh, and I'm, it got me a little more excited about the sort of, you know, overall implications of it. I think that right now we're still at the point where gaming is the big motivator for VR, and I think that's probably going to continue for a little while. Um, and that's probably good because it's really something that tends to push the envelope technologically. Um, and VR especially is so immersive that I think it's one of those things that will be the most compelling as a use case. Um, AR is a little more interesting because I feel like there are more applications throughout a variety of different places 
it's still very much in its infancy. Um, you know, we've seen certainly the, uh, the Microsoft HoloLens, um, you know, Google Glass, obviously, and Apple's rumored to be working on something possibly in that area. Um, so I think there's still some time because nobody's really captured the uh, great idea of what augmented reality is going to do or what it's going to be really good at. Um, combined with the fact that no one's really made sort of a low-profile AR device that is something that you'd be okay wearing <laughs> out on the street, for example. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'm excited by the possibility of these things because I do think it's it's cool that they're pushing the envelope forward. Do I think it's going to be a huge revolution in the way we do things? Not necessarily, but that's also okay. Um, so, you know, in general, I'm sort of bullish on it. My experiences have been mostly positive, uh, and I'm I'm curious to see where we go from here. Yeah, I, you know, I think that AR is really interesting, but I personally would probably not use it. You know, it's like one of these things that I, I think, as you point out, you know, there's, there's a lot of limitations there. Um, but, you know, I think that as we move forward and they get better with hardware, especially, uh, it'll, there's going to be a lot of possibilities, but they're still feeling out what, uh, problems we're solving with AR, I think. Um, as far as VR goes, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of not really that into video games. Um, and I do agree that I think video games have been the main focus so far with VR. But I, I have to admit, I'm like super duper excited about it. Um, I, I've only played like one game ever on VR and it was the, the bomb game on Oculus. Um, I think it's called like Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. That one is really fun, by the way. I recommend it to everybody, um, to try it out. But anyway, I, I just think that that, I think VR is really, uh, I think it's cool because aside from gaming, it's really going to start taking up the space of just sort of like home entertainment in general. You know, I can see five to 10 years from now, um, you know, people are already augmenting how they watch TV and just consume content online. So, you know, where are we going to be in 10 years when everyone has a VR headset? You could be gaming, you could be watching stuff, you could be participating in some crazy, you know, like 2020 version of Second Life. Um, you know, it's... I think that VR is really, I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's not a lot I can add, I guess, except that I think that it's really exciting. And I think that there's so many options now too. One of the interesting problems we have at Wirecutter is that there's so many options and people really want some guidance on what to pick, but they're all kind of early and they're all sort of dealing with their own little, like trying to solve different problems. And so, um, it's, it's kind of a weird time, especially for people who are trying to figure out if they should buy something. But I think it's exciting too, because it shows that there's competition. Um, lots of companies are really kind of putting a lot of thought into how to best kind of like serve up, you know, content to people and entertainment to people. And how can you get people, you know, to interact more? Um, so it's, I, I think if anything, VR is probably going to go a little bit further than AR, um, at least in the near future. But both have possibilities. Um, I'm a little less excited about AR, though. I think AR could be a real thing, but there's so many problems with the physics of getting something to shine on the back of your eye, basically, that I think it's going to be really hard for that not to look dumb for a while yet. Um, and gaming, yeah, gaming is a natural, right? Although I do wonder about the social implications of this if you're not somebody who's by yourself. Like, I was I was imagining if I get a PSVR, which I 
tested last weekend uh, for a little bit and it was a lot of fun and I played Job Simulator which is really dumb but also brilliant and I felt like I was in the quickie mart and uh, it was uh, it was fun but I tried to picture my son who is the big gamer in our in our house uh, getting that if, if, I, if I bought it and playing and I just imagined us sitting on the couch watching TV while over on the far end in the, on the other <laughs> chair my son is there with a with a headset on occasionally like jerking his body around <laughs> as he plays some game and I'm like that's really weird actually that's really disturbing so do we buy a screen like do you have to go in the VR box I don't know but um, it's going to be there's some weird social implications but it's it's super immersive and I think that as developers as game developers really start to understand what works and what doesn't it's so early yet I feel like at some point there's going to be a game where everybody goes okay we got it now that like that's it that's why you get a VR headset and I don't think we're there yet but uh, the technology is there so I feel like gamers will embrace it and then it will be a while before regular people embrace it I think because it's going to have to be way less clunky and for AR yeah you're going to have to find some way to get things in our eyes that isn't like by having a big box hovering over your forehead so I think it's going to be a little while yeah it's definitely still in its infancy the last time I and actually I think now the only time that I used a virtual reality device uh, it was still very much in its infancy I was doing a piece on the state of virtual reality at the time and uh, I went over to the university in my town the University of Missouri and we tried uh, the Oculus at the time and it was being used in the architecture department and it was just the most awful experience I've ever had because they didn't have it, you know, working as a video game. It was really for surveying buildings and uh, making like making the insides of buildings look how they would if an architect had sat down and drawn them. And so uh, they hit the forward button on the keyboard and I was suddenly, it's as if someone like tied a string to the middle of my chest and just, or I guess it'd be a rope and pulled me along to the front door and you can comically see my arms and my legs flailing behind me as I fly through the air. It was the most just jolting experience and I almost threw up. It was terrible. Um, So once I got in though and I was able to look around that was pretty cool so despite that being my only experience with VR I'm still so excited about it I hear people uh, particularly my my friend and friend of the show Georgia Dow uh, talking about the HTC Vive and that experience and it sounds incredible and I'm not a gamer in the slightest of the very least, but I do like games like The Sims, and I like the idea of being transported to other worlds. And the, you know, virtual reality offers the opportunity to do both of those kinds of things. And so if I can go under the sea and look at uh, whales and things like that, that's awesome. If I can go to Mars, that's super cool. Uh, Ultimately, though, I am actually the most bullish, the most excited, the most uh, interested with AR. Um, I have never been more excited than, uh, like, with new technology than I was when I saw uh, the HoloLens demo where they played Minecraft, like, in a living room, essentially. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about that future. So, yeah, I, I think uh, actually AR is uh, super, super, super cool. And yes, we are very far off, but um, I've never been ashamed to strap weird things to my face (laughs) for the sake of fun and uh, trying out new stuff. So yeah, it might be weird, but come at me, haters. Uh, Well, thank you for your thoughts on that. That's the uh, end of our four technology topics. Jason, do we have enough time for a bonus topic? 
Of course. This bonus topic is brought to you by HelpSpot. If you deal with any kind of customer support you need, HelpSpot is the most comprehensive and flexible help desk software around. You can let your customers reach you however they choose, email, web, phone. It doesn't matter. HelpSpot will be the central place for all your customer support needs. You can turn disjointed email exchanges into meaningful conversations with your customers. Get a quick view of any of the trends that are going to uh, affect your support requests, including in real time. And they can host everything for you, or you can run it on your own servers, depending on your comfort level. You get source code access for custom branding, direct SQL access to write custom scripts. It's the best value in customer service. They're committed to giving you unrivaled value for your hard-earned money. Basically, uncomplicated pricing includes everything you need for your help desk. You'll get unlimited tickets, mailboxes, custom fields, reports, and knowledge bases all for one simple price with no hidden extras or complicated tiers. Their current customers include little startups, giant Fortune 500 companies, everything in between. They've been doing this for more than 12 years now. They are going to be there when you need them and you can try it out for free for up to three users and it's super inexpensive for larger teams and you get 10 percent off for life extra by using the code clockwise when you sign up go to helpspot.com slash clockwise to start a trial today or sign up for a free one-on-one demo to learn more about how helpspot can serve your support team thank you so much to helpspot for their support of clockwise and all of relay fm all right dan what's the bonus topic so uh i recently did for the 34th time the online jeopardy quiz to attempt to become a contestant on jeopardy uh who knows if it will pay off or not but jeopardy is my personal favorite game show on tv i'm curious to know if you have a favorite past or present my favorite is always going to be plinko from uh the price is, <laughs> the price right. is right yes <laughs> yeah solid, solid. Uh, yeah specifically plinko in price is right although price mm. is right in general is pretty great mm. um mm-hmm. i don't know i just love the the randomness and now jimmy fallon does his own version with drinko so that's almost as satisfying <laughs> uh for me i'm gonna be like the emmys and split it up into categories reality competition survivor and a <laughs> traditional game show match game i love the i love the banter and the uh and the uh, wackiness of of uh, the classic Gene Rayburn match game. Does Legends of the Hidden Temple count? Yeah, I'll allow it. All right. Then I choose <laughs> that because that game was so much fun. Uh, I can remember growing up and watching that and uh, cheering on my, my favorite team. So I love that. Well, thank you all for that. Now I'm just going to make us myself a list of uh, game shows to watch. Um, and that's all we have time for. All that remains is to thank our fantastic guest this week. Jackie Chang, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Micah Sargent from Relay FM's Disruption and uh, iMore.com, I'm going to say. I'm going to plug iMore.com. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. That's it, Jason. Another Ooh. episode in the can. All right. But we'll be back next week with four more technology topics. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.